we're not here to be a flash in the pan. We're not here to sell quickly. We're here to build something great and be something that is meaningful in people's lives. And that's what we're trying to do. So I feel very bullish and, and hopeful. And all of the data around is showing me that Crumble will be here to stay and stay for forever. So, Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. I'm not gonna lie, this episode is a can't miss. I spoke to CEO and co-founder of Crumble Cookies, Jason McGowan. Crumble was founded in 2017 and has taken the nation by storm. They already have almost 600 stores open and operating today, along with millions of social media followers across platforms like TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. I go through it all with Jason, from how this concept was founded to how they've used technology and social media to manage their rapid growth and what their thoughts are for the future of Crumble. Are cookies a fad or will Crumble be a global behemoth? Keep listening to find out the answers. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. I kind of just want to start at the beginning. I mean, so you founded Crumble, right, with your cousin Sawyer back in 2017? Yeah. So me and my, my sir cousin, we both love cookies. We wanted to work together on doing a business and we're like, let's go do something fun. Let's go do cookies. And a lot of times people think that we had this grand, huge scheme, marketing plan, business plan that we're going to just conquer the United States in cookies. And what's interesting is our very first location that we got into was set to be demolished in six months. So we're like, hey, you know, if this concept fails or it doesn't really work, we don't have a five-year lease on our hands. So it was really just a side hustle for both of us to really just do something really fun, bring technology, because I come from a technology background. So we're from the branding marketing background, and we just kind of came together and like, let's do some cookies, let's see if this works and and have some fun with it. So it really started off in this really small little kind of hut almost uh, with a set to be demolished in six months. So that was kind of the journey, the starting point for Crumble Cookies. So it was a six month lease on that first location. I've seen pictures of it, it kind of looks like a cabin. Yeah, it totally looks like a cabin. It was a six-month lease, and we're like, well, I'm not sure if we should even do this business. And we're like, well, let's just go for it. It'll be fun for six months, you know? And yeah. uh, that's kind of how our journey began. <laughs> and, you know, even with our equipment and everything, we just started ordering equipment, ordering all these different things. And it came to a point where we're like, okay, let's get the product going. And by the way, you should never do this. You should always have a product first and a <laughs> business first before. So we did a little bit backwards, but... Yeah, we just got going and we started mixing cookies and we're like, we have no idea what we're doing at all. Like our first cookies looked like just complete pancakes. We were just like, this is going to be a total failure. And it kind of was an interesting thing, though, because it really humbled us and said, "Okay, we don't know anything. We need some help. So, you know, we hired a local baker to teach us like basic principles. We went all over trying to figure out what we were going to do. And I come from the software world. In the software world, you kind of A-B test something. So in kind of the food world, you call it like taste testing, right? And so what we decided to do is we said, okay, we're going to take this cookie, this chocolate chip cookie, which is, you know, the most important one to get right. And we're going to taste test our way to the perfect chocolate chip cookie. And so what that meant is we would take this cookie and we'd change out ingredients and we would go to local gas stations, our friends, our family, and we just have two plate of cookies and we'd say like, which one tastes better? And so we just kept doing that and optimizing until we came out with this, this chocolate chip cookie. Um, the hardest debate was probably between milk chocolate chips and semi-sweet. I got a, I got a comment on Twitter about that. Yeah, someone was like, why do they... Guys, I, before this, I was like, hey, I'm interviewing the founder of Crumble. What questions do you have? And that was that was one of them was, why don't they like, use semi What the heck? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so, and I'm a huge semi-sweet lover, by the way. And my partner, Sawyer, he's a milk chip fan. And 
So we just were arguing about this and trying to figure out like, okay, no, it should be semi-sweet. It should be, it should be milk. And so we just decided like, hey, you know, we've come this far. Let's just taste test it and let's do a poll. So we did a poll on Twitter. 70% of people preferred milk chocolate over a semi-sweet chocolate. We, you know, taste tested it out. Same thing happened. And even since then, we've done sales different, you know, put both of them on the menu at the same time. And just chocolate chips just keeps beating out semi-sweet, much to my dismay. But but uh, <laughs> that's how the cookie crumbles, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, when you're A-B testing that, this is before you even started franchising, right? Uh-huh. Yes. Yep. Okay. So before, because it sounds like when you signed that six-month lease, you know, it sounded more like it's like a potentially a part-time thing. Like, so were you and Sawyer... Uh, working day jobs back then? Yeah, I was working. I did work for Ancestry and Sawyer was going to school. So this was just kind of a side hustle just for both of us to kind of just do for fun. And even at the time, there was not DoorDash wasn't really prevalent. And so there's no like delivery services. And, you know, I just love technology. And I always kind of had this thought about one day kind of doing something similar to DoorDash. So we started off with cookies but we stayed in cookies, obviously. Um, yeah, and that's when we just got started. Fascinating. Um, well, I obviously want to get into the growth story because it's it's been pretty just, if people can imagine what you want to see if you buy a stock, you just want it to go up and to the right. That's basically been the crumble franchise system. But before getting to that, I mean, I want to kind of dive into like things that I've seen that you guys do really well. So for instance, like the branding, you know, you guys are known for those those pink boxes and they even have like very specific, you have specific sizes, right? You have like a one pack box, a four pack, I think a six pack, 12 pack, et cetera. Like who came up with that? And I mean, some of them, I got to ask, like, do you guys use a specific supplier? Cause like some of those boxes almost look custom made. Yeah, I mean, they are custom made. So first of all, all of our boxes are custom made, the sizing dimensions, everything like that um, is custom made. What was interesting is our four pack box as we were kind of looking through our boxes and we wanted to be, you know, different, unique and special from from other competitors and that sort of thing. And we thought, OK, what can we do to be different? And we did a little competition at Utah State. And that was one of where our first location was, was in Logan. And uh, it was a business plan kind of competition. And all these these students came up with these just amazing box ideas. And there's a box that kind of stood out. It wasn't exactly how it was today, but it was kind of sliding out. But it was elongated and kind of just like it just felt different. Yeah. And something that we really look for at Crumble is just like the little details and how you feel and what the experience is like when you're kind of interacting with our products and our services. And that was um, something that just felt different. And when you held it, it just felt like special. And so they became the winner. They won some prize money. And that kind of kicked off our four-pack box that kind of just looks a little bit unique and different in kind of the baking world. So that's kind of where we kind of got our idea and how, we, how things got started. That's interesting. So was that where Sawyer was at school? Or did you guys just find out that this college was putting on a competition? And like, it was based, like, did the competition partner with local small businesses? Yeah. So, uh, well, it was just us and it was Sawyer did go to school there and okay. it was, I believe it was a department chair um, and Sawyer knew them and said, Hey, let's give it a try. And, and it was kind of something to, to kind of help them, but it actually turned out to be you know really helpful to us as well. So <laughs> no, it's cool. Well, it's smart too. I just kind of, you're the first business that's come on. It's kind of uh, outsourced some almost like innovation to a college competition, but it's, it's cool. So branding has obviously been a big part, but so has social media. And, you know, I can speak to this just from what I've been trying to do on Twitter and with my newsletter, like growing an audience is really hard. And for people that don't know, I mean, crumble across their social media channels. I mean, it's millions of followers. I know this is I think I took these notes in end of July, so I'm sure it's higher. But like TikTok, five and a half million, Twitter, half a million, Instagram, 2.1 million, YouTube, you know, 900,000 subscribers. You know, that's insane. So, yeah, I guess like where to even start, you know, everyone, every brand, right, wants to have a ton of followers and increase their brand awareness. But getting that outcome is difficult. So like, I guess just as an organization, I mean, how did you guys approach content and like, think about the best way to leverage it to get that outcome? No, that's a great question. So I think, first and foremost, you have to have a product that everyone loves, right? You have to build. So you can't kind of decide you're going to go and try to build all this great stuff and not have a great product. So I think that's first and foremost. So assuming that's kind of there for everyone, 
Uh, the next thing we did is really engage in social media. And what I mean by that is most companies, they'll go and they'll post social media. One, it'll be the same across all platforms, right? And they just kind of post it and that's, that's it. Well, we're really engaging with our, our customers that are on there. So we talk to anyone who DMs us. We try to message on comments. So we're really, really active in the conversation um, when people are kind of interacting with us. That's even from like the early on places. But again, where you are is really, really important. So when Instagram started, obviously it started when there was a need to have a better camera. So there's lots of filters and so photography and that sort of thing becomes really important on Instagram. So what was our strategy? Our strategy was to go kind of leverage what the platform was already kind of uniquely tailored towards versus trying to push our own content. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and then TikTok, you know, trends start on TikTok and it's all about video and about rawness and all these other different things. And so when we got started on TikTok, we said, okay, let's just leverage the platform the way it was meant to be leveraged instead of just trying to make it shoehorn into kind of the content that we had. And so when we did that, all kind of engagement started happening. And we noticed one thing that happened is people started reviewing our cookies and saying, okay, this was an eight out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, or like sometimes three out of 10. And you're like, okay, so it was an interesting trend that started happening. And rather than kind of fight against it or like, hey, you know, we don't want them to, we just joined in. We just said, okay, let's do this. And so we started doing ratings. We created a hashtag called Taste Weekly. And so we just really leveraged the platform where the platform wanted to go. And even today, we have billions of views on TikTok. And it's all just from kind of building content that's unique to that specific platform. So I think that's key is engagement and gets a big engagement. So keep being engaged with your followers, your customers, your comments, your DMs, and then also creating content that's kind of just accelerates what the platform was meant to be and it'll feel a little bit more natural. So those are kind of the things that we did to kind of really start kind of kicking us off and allowed us to kind of get some followership combined, of course, with the best cookies in the world doesn't hurt either. <laughs> no, for sure. Completely agree. Like product comes first, but yeah, once you have that, obviously you have the ability to do what you've done. But I completely agree. I mean, for one, like when I first started out, I mean, I, I still try to. It, it obviously gets difficult as you scale and I'm currently a one-man show for like my content. But you're doing an amazing job, by the way. I love, I love, <laughs> I followed you even before you posted anything about us and I just, I, I love Appreciate your content. It. And I think that's another good example of how you create something unique and using threads and those kinds of things to really leverage the Twitter platform, right? So similar thing, but it just became really engaging for a lot of people. So kudos to you for picking up that trend and seeing it. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, the Twitter threads, that's exactly right. It's unique to Twitter and um, it's a way to build a following there. And, you know, like I've started now in the past few weeks really trying to build on LinkedIn. And just like you said, you know, I knew LinkedIn was different and you, I can already tell that there's ways to make your content feel more native to the platform. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the best advice I think for if there's a creator listening to this or someone trying to be a creator or running a brand account, you really can't repurpose one piece of content across every platform and like you have to tailor it to the platform. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. I think the other thing too, that I would note on that too is that notice what happens when your content is posted and how people engage. And what I mean by that is, so we originally started posting on TikTok and we started having some dance videos in there because that's what like the platform was meant for, right? Yeah. But we noticed that like for our brand, that wasn't like, it was more about the rawness and the realness of the ingredients and showing the, that particular part. And so you gotta be careful because sometimes people might say, okay, well, we should go do all dance videos on TikTok, which the platform's already changed and even from when it first started but we noticed like what was engaging. And so also looking at like, do what the platform was meant for and then notice where your niche is or where your engagement is on that platform and then kind of leverage that and step on that on the gas when you find that. For sure, I think that's amazing advice. You know, I kind you get a sense of it too, right? As you post more and more content and once you do kind of get that sense of what type of posts work, definitely just lean in on it because that's when you really see the growth. What I'm like really impressed about, and again, because like I'm actively trying to build an audience, is how you guys have gotten so large on all these different platforms, right? So, like, did you start on one platform? Like, what was the first one? I guess you, you started on, or did you go YouTube, Instagram, Twitter at the same time? No, we didn't. So, first thing we did is we went on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. So earlier on, I was kind of a big Facebooker. This was five years ago, and so it's like, no, it's all about the Instagram. And, you know, it's about the gram at the time. And so we went on both of those. And Sawyer, you know, 
just great, amazing brander. And he's just got a knack for building those brands. And so anyway, so he posted and started creating this kind of unique following on, on Instagram when we had it on Facebook. And that's just kind of how we got started. And we started building it from there. But once TikTok came out, and I, I've been in social media for a long time. So I've built social software. I've, I mean, that's kind of been my career is in social software. And I know early on when you can get on the platform early on, if it's going to be a platform that grows and scales, it's just one really inexpensive, whether it's from ad dollars or just gaining the audience is just there's not as much people that you're competing for. And so when TikTok came out, I remember sitting down with the team and saying, guys, we need to go after TikTok like nobody's business. Like, I know it doesn't have a lot of followership right now, but it will. And so we were just early on, which really helps gain that that big following. So like, even if you look at Twitter and some of the followerships that they have into the hundreds of millions, it's like people that were early on the platform, people are following people. It's all new. People are excited. And so there's a huge opportunity when a new platform comes out, if it's going to be big, to just jump on it immediately. Um, of course, sometimes you have duds and that sort of thing. But that's kind of what we did to really leverage it. And then on top of that, we use technology and those types of things to cross promote. So if somebody's a, a follower on Instagram or TikTok or on our mobile app or that sort of thing, we do different techniques. I don't even know if I want to share some of them, but there are just techniques that we use that cross promote and then grow followerships on all the other platforms. So. Yeah, well, I've seen like in the Crumble app, you kind of get like, uh, I think you call them crumbs or something about rewards point yep. system where like, I'll get points for following you on Instagram or TikTok, which I love because like, it's a great flywheel, right? Where every new follower helps you reach more followers, which is potential new customers. And you're incentivizing them to use the app. So it's just a pretty powerful flywheel. You drive them all to the app. Yeah, then the app. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So great catch on that one. But yes, that that, <laughs> that is a huge part of it too, right? And so you start now when we add a platform like YouTube or whatever, it's just kind of, you start off really slow, not much engagement. And then all of a sudden it just kind of hits this tipping point And all of a sudden people start engaging and then you respond to them and it just, it grows from there. Definitely. I mean, I guess just on TikTok or you said you have a background in like social software. So are you a software engineer at heart? No. So I'm more in the product design. So like a lot of the UX stuff that we see, one of our team members is phenomenal. Him and I work really well together. And, but most of my, it's more in the UX side of things. So design, product management, um, UX, all, all that sort of thing is kind of my, so more software design uh, versus engineering. But yeah, I do know how to do basic coding and, okay. and uh, very basic. And yeah, I understand engineering really, really well. So, Gotcha. And when you were looking at TikTok, because I, I think it came out in like 2016, I don't really remember, like to me, it came on my radar probably sometime during COVID is when uh, like in the deep into the lockdowns uh, is like when I realized like, oh, people are spending their time on TikTok. But do you guys just take a gamble and say, hey, like we have no idea if TikTok's actually going to be big or were you like bullish and saying TikTok's going to be an incredibly popular app? Let's go there right now before everyone else catches on. We were really bullish, really like it was just like, it was literally what we've, I had mentioned several times that we needed to go on it. My partner Sawyer started creating an account. He's really trendy, understands the new trends. So he he started getting us going on it first. But then we were like, look, we're not fully engaged here. Like we need to build the video team. We need to do whatever we can. We have got to jump on this. And it was almost like a we need to do this now. Like we're moving too slow. And so the team kind of really rallied it around. We have an OKR process for how we run the company. And it was one of our big objectives. And um, the team just jumped on it from all fronts to really kind of get us going. But one of the things that I saw is what's interesting about TikTok is kind of how they did their growth. So most social networks, they do it through virality. There's, they do it through word of mouth. So, you know, that's which is the best for especially social media. But what TikTok was doing is they had powerful word of mouth and they had powerful virality and tools to like share across, whether it's their logos bouncing around on videos that let you export, like all these other different tools. What was interesting to me is they were marketing heavily on competitor platforms. So they're spending top ad dollars on Facebook and on Instagram, which I'm surprised. Maybe there's anti-competitive reasons why Facebook just let that run. But they just let it run and TikTok just started just blowing up user accounts. Like that, Again, that was just like bringing them into that flywheel that they had there. And so I just started seeing this and I thought this growth is going to be phenomenal. I mean, they're spending so much capital so it's, it's combined with a great product and capital. 
And of course, their algorithms were just insane. So most social media networks hit, um, you know, network effects when you have a number of followers or you have a number of friend count on Facebook. So there's all these network effects. But what was interesting about TikTok was similar to YouTube is you can get some usage and enjoyment from it without any followers. And so I don't know. I, I love social technology and hate it sometimes too. But <laughs> I, I, I saw that there and I thought this is going to just be huge. And I turned off to be right. So I'm wrong a lot of times though. So, but that one I was right on. So no, that was a great bet that you guys made. Um, so looking back on kind of what you have today from like a social media perspective, you do have quite a large presence on multiple platforms. And recently I was listening to, um, just to give you some context on the question I'm about to ask. So there's a company called Night Media. They manage like massive YouTube creators and help them basically, you know, do sponsorship deals and potentially even build businesses, you know, because they work with like guys like Mr. Beast who have massive followings. Um, anyway, so I heard the founder of that company kind of talking about the difference between YouTube and TikTok. And he was a little worried about TikTok in the sense that he felt like because it's a short form video platform that it's actually harder to build like loyalty to a creator hmm. if you're on that platform versus YouTube. You know, he's like, hey, like, look at Mr. Beast. Like people are watching 20 minute videos of him every week. Anyway, so like what I'm getting at is he was bullish on YouTube going into the future as like still the best platform. But I'm curious, just like, do you guys think like TikTok has been incredibly powerful for you? Or, or do you think like, you know, I know you do a weekly show on YouTube. You know, is there one platform where you're like, this one's most important to us? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I think Mr. Beast, what he's done has been absolutely phenomenal. Like not only just the guy's an amazing dude, right? Like how he helps with his charity, the passion that he has, the energy that he has to put into his content, his videos. He's just at a whole nother level, right? Like he's the goat of of YouTube, frankly, and like no one's even touching him. And I think it's because he's just did something totally unique, special, and just did something just for him like that he felt and he's the king of like looking at engagement checking thumbnails doing all these other different things to really like lives optimize yeah he does right so like he's got it so much that he just like understands like little nuances when design like what that will do and attention spans and all that sort of thing on youtube so i guess my my thought is i would have to kind of agree the long-term content definitely would probably be on youtube and you can create more brand affinity What's interesting, though, is, and maybe I'm wrong here, someone like Mr. Beast or the others would know better, but it's harder to get a jump start there because the platform's been around for a while. So it's kind of this long slog. So it's like, what's interesting about TikTok is the algorithm doesn't really care how many followers you have. It really cares about how engaging the content is. And so with TikTok, you can blow up fast, like lightning fast, and YouTube's going to take a while. So I mean, if I was to start something today, I mean, maybe you do a combination of both where you kind of get your start potentially on TikTok, you leverage that and push you into YouTube. But again, I don't know. Someone like Mr. Beast or, or these others would be way better at these things. But I do think that there's a potential opportunity to kind of convert yourself. Maybe not. I don't know. But if you look at Mr. Beast, he again is on Twitter and he's on these other platforms. And of course, he's getting huge followerships because he has it. But it has made it has allowed him to leverage his brand to just do phenomenal things like with Mr. Beast Burgers, with his chocolate bars, like just, you know, Beastables. So this guy has just selfishly focused on just giving, giving and giving, which has created this brand loyalty that lets him just even do more and more bigger things every day. So I think YouTube is that platform, but I think he's understanding that the leverage that he can have in the real world through businesses combined with his ability will be even even huger, you know, than just ad dollars or other things that he's getting from YouTube. So no, for sure. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch uh, what he does. But I do an important thing you did say there is uh, like YouTube has been around for a while. And I know it's different from TikTok in that like if you're starting a channel on YouTube today versus TikTok, it's going to be harder to gain subscribers. But I would say, you know, those subscribers probably are more meaningful in the long term. And I mean, broadly speaking, like how much of Crumble's success, like, and when I say success, I guess I mean, like, do you guys have any way to quantify, say, the sales or the foot traffic that all these social channels are bringing into your stores? You know, like, because to me, it's a big moat that you guys have as a brand. You know, a lot of franchises don't have millions and millions of followers. So, yeah, like, just how do you guys think about that? And and are you able to quantify it in any way? Well, I mean, we can quantify it somewhat. Attribution is just a marketing problem, like, that has 
yet to be solved in the world, right? <laughs> so it's like, if I knew that, then I would be have a, have a, even a much bigger business. But we do some techniques to find out, you know, whether it's at the POS. What's unique about us is we actually built our own custom POS, our own mobile app, all of this stuff so that we can ha- understand the customer from social media all the way to the POS purchases, right? So, you know, we've been able to build all that custom so that we can kind of see where it's going. So in answer to your question, yeah, we definitely see uh, leveraging certain platforms. We see new demographics come in. We know like why people are coming into our stores and um, that sort of thing. And, and social has played an absolutely huge role. And some of it's by design and on purpose. And some of it just kind of naturally happens. It's like, that's what happens on social. Like, you know, people can't sit down and like write this thing and be like, okay, this is how I go viral. Do these 10 things. Like, yeah, you need those 10 things to go viral, but that doesn't mean you're going to go viral, you know? And so I think with Crumble, we focused on just a relentless focus on just making the best cookies in the world. And then really our focus on just really telling that story through social media. And it's kind of create this unique ecosystem and family on social media through the weekly rotating menu. So as we rotate every single week, you know, it's kind of like this experience that everyone in America gets to have with each other. It doesn't matter whether your friends are from the East Coast or the West Coast or middle America. Everyone gets to kind of be talking about this experience, good or bad, right, about <laughs> what's happening with the crumble. Crumble, you know, we launched everything but bagel. So that was on top of my mind uh, <laughs> a week ago or maybe it was two weeks ago and uh, kind of yeah. all fun stuff. But anyways... So you get to have this experience that all of a sudden, like you said, becomes a smoke where competitors are things. It's hard to be like, okay, let's get rally around the cookies of like this person that has five stores or 20 stores, even 100 stores, because it's just not kind of the same experience, you know. And so it's been really, really fun watching us do that. We, we actually got to the point so much that Instagram and these others would actually flag our videos and almost take them down because we'd launch exactly at 6 p.m. every Sunday at Mountain Time. And... It would just there'd be so many comments and likes that they thought like something malice was going on. And so the, several times crap. they had to like they would take the video, the video would come down and we would like, no, this is a legit video. Yeah, and they just yeah. were so confused by it. But we had a lot of that consistency of having it launch every single week at the same time. That's caused our whole fan base to be like, they're setting alarm clocks, they're doing all kinds of things. And so when that happens, they just know that crumble's gonna be there. And it lets them just have this fun moment where they can share and talk about the flavors and share something exciting this week. And that used to happen with television, but television's all now digital and seasons get launched at a whole time and people are watching at different hours of the day and, and, and DVR is there, recordings there. And so there's like this moment where something launches at the same time where people can kind of talk about it. doesn't happen very often. And so it's been fun to see that happen with Crumble and see the engagement and the the ability for people to, you know, friends and family to get together and really spend time communicating about something as simple as cookies, but still super powerful. No, for sure. And even just your the way you talk about like people getting to kind of rally around something that kind of leads me to what I think is an important part of this whole crumble equation, which is the rotating menu. Like, do you feel like how impactful do you think that is? Because from the outside, you know, I look at it and especially like, when you think of it in the context of your social media following that it's a way to like keep people really engaged where maybe they have a favorite flavor, but since it's a weekly menu, like there's this scarcity aspect where you have to keep your eyes on crumble to see when your favorite flavor is <laughs> coming back out. But it's also right. Like I know that whole YouTube unboxing show is seemed to have been pretty powerful for you guys. So yeah, just uh, curious for your thoughts on, you know, when did you come up with that? And, and again, like how impactful do you think that is? Yeah, so we came up with it in Bountiful, Utah. And I remember sitting in this small building. It was our first franchise location. Didn't know what we were, still didn't know what we were doing then. And we were sitting around the table and we were with my co-founder Sawyer's parents. And this was our first franchise. And when we got started in Logan, we just kind of started kept adding cookies just randomly. Like we added the midnight mint cookie because we're like sales you know in that time we were open until a little bit later and we're like sales are slow from midnight till 2 a.m let's just launch a cookie that's only available at midnight call it midnight mint <laughs> so we just kind of it's just random i wish it had some big strategy but we just like let's build some cool we just kept thinking about let's build cool cookies and you know tasty cookies and so we started adding these flavors to the menu and we get going to bountiful utah and I don't remember how many we had at the time. It must have been like 9, 10, or 11. We're like, okay, we got to just have them all in the menu because this is like the experience of new people coming in. And we had them all in the menu. And it was a struggle because 
We couldn't keep certain flavors in stock. We didn't know the demand for different flavors. And so it just, customers got frustrated. The experience was not as great. People would come in and be like, well, I really want this one. We didn't even have the technology to be like, okay, well, we don't have this one. Let's take it off the menu. So all these different things came. And it was the end of the week. And it's emotional. Like anyone who opens a crumble in the first week that they own a crumble, they're like, I should never have done this. I don't care how much money I have. I don't know how much success this is. Like, this is the worst idea I've, I've ever made. And so it was one of those moments. We're all sitting around the table. There was tears. There was just like, what are we going to do? And we thought about it. And, you know, we'd rotated. I think we'd rotated like daily. And like we did all these other different types of rotations. And we just sat there and we just like, it makes most sense. Like the rotation. And that's kind of when we started forming the strategy you know, with Sawyer and his parents, we started forming the strategy here about doing this on a weekly rotation from an ops perspective and from also like, it seems like the right cadence. Like we're closed on Sunday, it closes down, it lets people recharge. And so from an ops perspective in that, we launched it. And it's one of those things where, again, it's just, it wasn't just a thought and idea, but when we saw it was successful, we just started like putting all of our power behind it, right? And we're like, okay, we're doing weekly videos. We're just going to go, if we're doing this, we're going to go all out. And that's kind of how our weekly rotating menu just kind of started was like on store number three in Bountiful, Utah, and just out of kind of necessity. And and that was the opportunity that kind of it was born. So, and there are other cookie companies that are were doing like, you know, flavors every so often, or there was no kind of consistency to it or whatever. They would rotate them, but it wasn't con- like there was no consistency. It was just random. Or they're doing like once a month or something like that. But We just, again, wanted to be unique, our own selves, and that's kind of how it started. Yeah, and I could definitely see how, like, logistically it makes it easier for you guys. Um, And then also, as you mentioned, the customer experience, right? Because if you guys can prep accordingly for flavors of a week, you can stock up accordingly. And then that way, you know, customers are coming in and hopefully getting what they want. So that's interesting. And I mean... And that decision is, like... I was just going to say that decision transformed the whole business in so many ways from yeah. logistics, supply chain, marketing, support for franchise partners. That decision, like how hard Crumble is because of that decision, has been just ginormous. Like the amount of technology, things we've had to build based upon just that has been phenomenal, but we wouldn't have it any other way. So, yeah. And I mean, how far ahead are you guys, like in the sense of, do you know the flavors for the next 26 weeks already? Uh, well, yeah, we have the flavors until next year. I think we're into end, <laughs> almost the end of Q1 or something. So, yeah. So we do them. We R&D them. We, yeah, we have a full team. That's cool. My partner, Sawyer, is really heavily involved with the cookies as far as coming up and working with the R&D team to do them. Every day at 3 o'clock, there's cookies, new cookies waiting. So it's a little dangerous around here, but it's fun. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys, I hope you have a gym at HQ. That could get tough. <laughs> we <laughs> don't, but we probably need to get one. <laughs> Good call out. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny, man. Um, well, I also want to jump into like the tech aspect as, as much as you're able to share. I mean, you said you guys built your own internal point of sale system. So like most brick and mortar businesses are using like Toast or Square or any of these billion dollar POS systems. So did you custom make the software and you're buying someone else's hardware or is everything made from Crumble? So we use iPads okay, and we custom built the entire software suite, everything, like just everything. And um, what had happened, and it really was just that of like not finding something that worked. So a lot of these other services at the time, they didn't have you know, loyalty programs shared across platforms. They didn't have, or across locations. And there's no franchise software really built that was really working. And so again, we wanted to have the customer experience from front to end be just completely, you know, great. And at the time, you know, with self-helping kiosks were coming out barely. And so we're like, we need this thing to be so good in UX that like, literally if we flipped over our POS system, a customer could just like use it without us even talking to them. And that was kind of the vision for it. And then kind of also the back end through the loyalty, the phone numbers and all these things that make great, you know, two touch experiences on purchasing cookies and stuff and tracking and all those kind of things. We just built it. So we went with the engineering team. They said I was crazy. They're like, we can't build our own POS system from scratch. Like we shouldn't do this. It's like so much work. And that was one of those we're doing it. And kudos to them, though. They just slayed it and just 
I don't know if you've interacted with the POSs at Crumble, but it's just, it's just so smooth. It's seamless. The way the cookies fly into the boxes, just like every little detail that like you can't create with an out of the box POS system is just part of our overall experience, right? Of, of Crumble. So, you know, again, it's, it's not just about cookies. It's about, you know, and not just about bringing people together. It's about all those little pieces of experiences when you interact with technology or boxes or anything that we would just want it to be the crumble way. So that's what we did. Well, I got to imagine, I mean, that is like a major differentiator and edge that's probably given you, right? Because to, to me, there's like three sides of that. It's, it's as you mentioned, like the way the customer interacts with that system. But then also for you guys at corporate to kind of oversee what's happening for, you know, what customers are coming in, who maybe it's, there's some connection to the app where you kind of view a follow through on promotions there, but then also, right, like franchisees system wide probably have like some type of data and visibility and KPIs that they're able to get a sense of from this. But like that POS system kind of sits in the middle of all of that. Yeah, it does. And like, so we got the KDS screen, we've got our mobile app, which is, by the way, it's we beat out almost every single food and beverage app other than McDonald's almost every single day. Sometimes Starbucks creeps up on us. And, but other than that, you know, and you've got DoorDash, but we're like the top three. And it's just so funny because, you know, my whole career, you're trying to build technology that will like reach the 100, 100 top apps in the world. And it's like, I want to build this technology. And here we have this cookie business. And then we built the technology and our apps in the top 100, you know, it's like top 50 or 60. It just depends. But like, we're able to beat up these brands that have, you know, 10 times the locations than us, 20 times the location than us just from doing all the intricacies of technology and growth hacks and all those kinds of things that are needed to really get those downloads of the app. So we've got that mobile app that we custom built. We've got the POS we custom built. And then we've also built our own internal tools for our franchise partners. So one of the things that has helped us really scale and manage quality at the same time has that. It's been that. So we know all the metrics because we have owned all the stuff, we pull all the metrics in. So like how long are, you know, our wait times? What's the average order you know, size? All the stuff you could get in some of the other systems, but there's a lot of custom unique stuff that we have that lets us get further insight. And so what we've done is we've created these dashboards for our franchise partners so they can internally see like how they're benchmarking compared to other franchise partners. And, you know, hey, this store is great at you know, ticket times. Why is that? And it allows us to create trainings and all kinds of things like that around it to just kind of give them their own tools to, to help them manage themselves. So we call it the crew app. And it has like all of our, it's got a social network essentially, and it's got a news feed in it. It's got your ability to see stats in it. It's got driver technology so that, you know, for delivering for drivers, it's got recipe updates, it's got calculators, all kinds of things like that in it to like help them figure out how to run their business. And it's really like that's really helped at scale. Recently, we've had a couple of posts and people like, it's crumble growing too fast. They're like, we've seen a couple, you know, these cookies that are messy. And, you know, what's interesting is we know all the data behind the scenes. And, you know, if you go from 10 stores to 500 stores and you have, you know, 10 bad cookies in a week in a, in a store, it goes from 10 cookies, you know, it goes to thousands of cookies that look bad online. So you get a lot more online. But in general, per store, our cookie quality is phenomenal. Our bakers are just amazing. And we're able to give that feedback to them so bakers can kind of see like, hey, what is our rankings? What are our quality scores? Whenever customers, you know, purchase cookies, we give them a link at the end and they're able to upload custom photos, which goes to a system, which we have AI running on it that helps detect quality and other things and detects the cookies and sends that feedback to our franchise partners and to our crew members so they can say, how well am I doing at quality at my store? So again, quality is phenomenal across the board. And that has really, those types of things have really helped us see, you know, from bird's eye view, when you're adding 50 stores a month, it's like, how do you scale that and manage quality? And the team and the technology and all those things have just really helped and execute so, so well on that. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. First, it's just ridiculous that you guys, your app has more activity than Starbucks on a given day. <laughs> That's like insane. Yeah, uh, it is crazy. The, the, the crew app. I mean, that sounds like that kind of is probably like the, the behind the scenes look that only the crumble people get a look at. But yeah, I'd imagine that's, that's just a massive game changer for the insight you guys have and the decisions you can make based off that, that really helps you as you scale. And yeah, I mean, that kind of brings me right. Like, so founded in 2017 with that first location on a six month lease today, you're at 592 stores, at least according to your website. I mean, so 
what you just said, like that's something I get all the time on Twitter is like, oh, like they're just going to be like the next frozen yogurt franchises. They're growing too quickly. They're going to collapse. And I've actually, I'm the contrarian on Twitter with this where I'm actually like, hey guys, like I don't see it. Like the Froyo franchises never had the average unit volumes that Crumble currently has. They definitely never had the social media followings, which to me is, you know, that's a differentiator and a bit of a moat. And I, you know, I don't know now I know a little bit more about the tech, given what you just said, but I knew that you built your own point of sale system. I'm like, there's never been a franchise like this that's actually like has these things that they can lay claim to. You know, it's a more sophisticated operation was my insight. And again, the numbers have just been bigger than like Froyo's average unit volume for, you know, like a Menchie's or someone was like 500 to 600K is what they topped out at even at their peak. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, guys, like, like I get it. They've grown really quickly, but they're a different animal. So yeah, I mean, just, What's your like response to that or even just like what's it been like growing so quickly? Do you ever say, hey, we can't sell any more franchises this year? Well, we do say that in certain markets. So I think I look at it from a very simple standpoint and I don't look at it as like, hey, growth on numbers and all that. I actually look at it on unit economics. OK, how well is it are individual stores doing and how are the economics on those stores? And that really helps us drive growth on like markets we can go into how many what's the you know distance between stores and that sort of thing we have a mantra which is no store is going to fail at crumble so you know you have all these other brands all these businesses are closing stores all the time opening them and they're just kind of just throwing spaghetti on the wall and trying to figure it out we use certain tools that help us predict what sales and things like that are going to be in certain areas and so far it's it's helped us really well we have never had a store fail ever and our stores that have been there since the beginning our same store sales of those are phenomenal. Growth is happening. Those things are all there. So the unit economics look really, really, really strong. Yeah. Now, COVID and supply chain, all these things have hurt margins in a small way on some things, but we've recently made some big changes and strides to really help bring that back. So, and again, those hurt margins are those margins people would die on their herded margins on other franchise concepts compared to ours. So looking at other franchise concepts, our, our margins are phenomenal. Looking at our individual average, you know, unit volume is great. Same store sales are great. Quality scaling, great. But there's things that we still need to work to on our service. And there's a lot of other things that aren't uh, as good as where we want them to be. So it's not like this perfect painted picture storyline. Like I'm not saying we're perfect by any means. And we, we have a lot of work to go in a lot of areas. But where we are today and ha- what I see, and it really comes down to our cookies like frozen yogurt or are they like donuts where they're they've been around for a long time right and i actually wonder and i you know i've challenged the team and, and all kinds of people that kind of anyone who has ever brought that's thought up i've always said you know do you eat more cookies in your life or do you eat more donuts or yogurt frozen yogurt like just in general and cookies have been around for a long time by the way we're not like the first ones to come up with cookies or something so cookies have been around a long time there's been a lot of franchise concepts that have been around and actually lasted the test of time I think what we've done is we've said, hey, how can we make cookies even better? And hey, how can we kind of scale and provide a better experience around cookies? And I think that's increased our, you know, our volume. But cookies have been around for a long time. They'll be around for a lot longer. And I'm very, very bullish. I'm kind of in your camp too as well, which is hopefully all the things that we've built allow us to be around for, you know, forever. We're building a brand that's meant to stand the test of time. I've gotten so many acquisition conversations and offers and people talking to us all the time. And we're just like, I don't think people understand we're building a brand that's a legacy brand that's going to be for there for a while. We not even just with cookies, but our mission to bring friends and family together over those cookies is just a mission that we're just we're bent on just making sure that like in a world of just craziness and just with social media and all these things is like our motive to bring people away from all that. And we're not like going to change the world overnight and all these things, but we are going to take it so that, you know, maybe you have 30 minutes or an hour where you're getting away from all those things and you're just spending time with real people and you're connecting with them and you're laughing and sharing moments with cookies. Or, you know, if someone has a breakup and your friend sends you those cookies or your family's across the country and you're both, you know, jumping in your car and video chatting and having cookies, all these things are happening And so we're really on a mission and that's really our purpose. And so we're not here to be a flash in the pan. We're not here to sell quickly. We're here to build something great and be something that is meaningful in people's lives. 
And that's what we're trying to do. So I feel very bullish and, and hopeful and all of the data around it is showing me that Crumb will be here to stay and stay for forever. So I love the mission. And I do agree with you too, right? Like cookies is, it's been a massive category in food and beverage in general, like whether or not it's a franchise concept selling them or just, you know, like Nestle Toll House selling cookies in stores and amusement parks and wherever else. So yeah, I definitely think as a category too, it's just fundamentally different than a frozen yogurt. Yeah, absolutely agree. And when people say, or when people are concerned, is it just a fad? Is that kind of just your thought is that cookies as a category has never been a fad and like you're bullish that crumble can because i think it's fair to say like you guys have increased the popularity in cookies and you're just confident that you crumble can continue to do that through everything you're currently doing yeah and i think look it really comes down to like will people get sick of crumble after a certain period of time look at our rotating menu look at the new things that keep getting brought out our same store sales and our our early stores are just they've been around for five years and those things look great and i think people have just always historically i think they're not a fad for mom you know um when they when she, growing <laughs> true, up when she baked true. us cookies right like yeah no one was like mom it's been five years ten years stop making me those <laughs> chocolate chip cookies you know so it's just the things in the data and everything that we see shows that it's not but yeah i mean obviously we could be wrong here but i feel like i feel pretty confident yeah and I feel I feel like everything's showing us that it's not, but you never know. So, but we're feeling pretty good about it. I can't blame you based on the numbers that I've seen. So, um, you know, looking forward, you've almost sold out the entire country. It looks like based on the map on your website. I mean, is there international plans? Is there plan? You know, I, I think I saw like a maybe for a week you're doing ice cream, or maybe ice cream's a mainstay. Like, is there plans for more products? Like, what does the future hold? No, that's a great. Uh, so look, we want to be an international brand. We want to be, you know, in every country we can, that makes sense. We want to be and everywhere. That mission doesn't just stop in the people of the United States. It really, you know, goes around the world. And so, yeah, we'll be a national brand, international brand. We've already, you know, made forays into that. Okay. So we should have some announcements soon on that. But yeah, we're already, you know, actively selling and we'll have announcements soon. But yeah, we're going to be an international brand. And I guess I look at it from just, again, that mission and that product promise and trying to just bring that across the world versus like, you know, unit counts or whatever. Like we never sit there and try to figure out like this many units or this or that. like we just we're just trying to build something amazing. And the system will tell us how far we can scale and how much we can scale. So but yeah, we hope that countries all around the world love the cookies as much as we do. And we're going to find out. Yeah, well, that'll be fun to watch. And I mean, for you and uh, you and Sawyer, right? I mean, so the fact that you guys haven't taken any outside capitals is wild. Just what you've been able to build purely from a bootstrap perspective is incredible. I mean, just personally, like, you know, no one has to be, uh, doesn't need an MBA to realize that, okay, there are 590 stores, doing over a billion in system-wide revenue this year. Like, it's obvious, right, on paper, your financial net worth has shot up significantly based on the success of Crumble. Like, just what has that been like? Was there ever like one moment where you were just like, holy crap, like I'm wealthy? <laughs> like, or has it just <laughs> been so quick that you you can't even stop to kind of enjoy and smell the roses? Well, you got to understand my family. My wife is the most frugal person on this planet. And so okay. uh, we'll, she'll be like still clipping coupons. We could be trillionaires and she'd be clipping coupons. I mean, like, honey, let's go to this place. And so I'm still living in the same house I lived in five years ago. I've been able to help a few people out, whether it's family members or others, which has been, you know, really super rewarding. But I don't really look at it like wealth doesn't. It, sure, it's nice to have those things or be able to do what we want to do. But it doesn't really... Like I've never started this company and I never sit there and think about like, how can I make more money? I just, I, we just don't do that. Yeah. We really look about just building something meaningful and something that cares. So we have sat there and I've sat there and been like, wow, this is crazy sometimes, right? You look at it and my daughter and I, one of our favorite activities is to watch Shark Tank and we were watching it actually last night and they're all getting on there and, and people were freaking out about like these revenue numbers in the millions. And I'm like, it just kind of hit me last night and I was like, wow, like it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy how big Crumble has become. And for me, I, you know, I'm in it and we're just looking at just building great things and we don't really think about, you know, all that kind of stuff. But 
I'm just incredibly proud of what the team's built. You know, a lot of times from that perspective, it's like, oh, look what Jason and Sawyer did. And, and yeah, we've worked really, really hard. But we've also have what we call franchise partners. And they have just been amazing. One thing that we did early on is we never advertised our franchise concept ever. And, man, that was probably one of the best blessings and decisions ever because the people that were coming in and requesting or learning more about our franchise business were people that just loved the product. They loved the brand. They loved they, – they came into the store and smelt it and touched it and tasted it. And those are the people that wanted to come do franchises with us. And so we've been really intentional and deliberate with who we pick as franchise partners. And we just have some of the most amazing franchise partners in the world. And yes, we have relationship issues just like every other relationship, whether it's marriage or friends or coworkers or whatever. You know, we have all those things, but it's just been the most amazing experience building this with over 30,000 crew members and hundreds of HQ members. So many people have given their hearts and soul into the brand to what it become what it is today that I'm just like, that's the part that I think I look more than like, hey, look how much money we have or whatever. I just like wake up and I'm like, I'm about to go work with some of the smartest people I know, bringing people the best cookies in the world, having these fun experiences. I get to like toy around with building cool technologies all day, every day. And it's just so much fun. And I think that's what kind of gets me out of bed and just gets me excited every morning is just working and with people that you care about helping other people become successful. If you ask my wife and my coworkers and even our franchise partners, if I look at it and I say, what would be the, my most, you know, one of my biggest motivating drivers to get out and just slate every day, it's actually our franchise partners. So customers are strongly up there, but I look at our franchise partners and I say, how can I make them successful? How can I make the unit economics work for them? These people who took faith in us, we have people who have never run a business before, get a loan out, People who put mortgages on their homes to be able to do a crumble. People who quit being doctors or dentists or lawyers, all those, you know, high professionals. All these things have all happened and it's just so real. And so every day I look, I said, these people took faith and trust in our business. And how can I make it that's that a business that's just so successful for them that it changes their lives? And so more than my own life is watching other people's lives change. It's just such a motivating factor to me. And and of course, bringing these people together. So, sorry, you got me a little passionate, excited there near the end, but <laughs> no, I just man. love it. I just love what I do. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. And I mean, I think the fact that you've grown as quickly as you have and no store has closed, right? That's a testament to what you guys are building and just the, the success of the concept and the support that you guys are obviously providing. So, uh, yeah, look, man, this has been awesome to have you on. I was super pumped to finally get to chat with you. Uh, I think my audience will be happy to hear from you too, both the ones who are thinking it's the next Froyo and those who are kind of big believers like myself. So um, yeah, look, thanks a lot, Jason. And is there anywhere that people can follow along your journey, Crumble's journey uh, online? Yes. Well, thanks again for having me. Thank you to all of our amazing customers who've loved the product and made it what it is today. We couldn't be here without you. And all those who are just curious about Crumble or wanting to follow us, just go to Crumble Cookies, at Crumble Cookies on Instagram, on YouTube, on go to Facebook. Or just follow us on Crumble Cookies and check out the weekly rotating flavors. Um, sorry if you get hooked and you're welcome if you get hooked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect. All right, well, uh, we'll tag those uh, social handles in the show notes, folks. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Jason. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. 